on this episode of Comedy Rewind. Is City Slickers Billy Crystal's most memorable film from the 90s? What is so alluring about the Wild West fantasy? How did Jack Palance manage to win an Oscar in just 12 minutes of screen time? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on guys? Welcome back to Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio Technica as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s. I'm your host, John O'Peck, and joining me, hitting the old dusty trail. He's not a cowboy, but he is from Texas. Logan Wilkinson, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Jonah? Um, very excited to talk about this movie with you. Yes. We're, we're talking city slickers, and mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I, I don't recall, I think it's Colorado where this movie's based, but I, I feel at least... It you might know, as the well whole, be Texas, yeah. The Western thing, you know, we got the... We got the you, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to call you a cowboy, like I said, but uh, <laughs> you, you're at least in that environment. Yeah. You're American to start with, so that mm-hmm. helps. <laughs> Yeah, I, I very much am American and from the Midwest and proud of it. I'm still waiting for my cowboy hat in the mail from when I moved to Texas, mm. but I expect any day now they'll be sending it out to me. Yeah, I feel like that should be like a welcome pack. You get like <laughs> a cowboy in a saddle, yeah. And a, like a revolver or something. A six shooter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, City Slickers. This is a movie that I definitely watched a lot as mm-hmm. a child slash young teenager. It was, uh, you know, a 1991 Western comedy, very accessible to me as a young fella because my dad liked it, I guess, and it was suitable to use the the, the parental language. This mm-hmm. movie is suitable for children, uh, and I really enjoyed watching it again because I hadn't seen it for so long and didn't realize how deep it is, man. Yeah. Like this is a deep movie. Like yeah. it's not just some kind of slapstick couple of fish out of water in, in the old west kind of thing it, there's so much to this isn't there mm-hmm. yeah it's it's funny too because i don't know if you knew when you picked this movie and invited me on like how much i already loved city slickers like it was actually no, I didn't. One, it was actually one of my favorite movies growing <laughs> I up i just pegged kid. you it's like oh, you seem like a city slickers kind of guy and like <laughs> and i mentioned it because i started messaging you last night a few different things as i was kind of going back and watching um it again and I'm a massive Billy Crystal fan, just in general. Like, I love, like, Billy Crystal's one of my favorite comedy guys, and, like, a lot of my own comedies have been influenced by his style. Um, And just because, like, I think as a 90s kid, Billy Crystal was all over the place. Like, he hosted the Oscars, like, eight times that decade. Like, you just always saw him. Um, And City Slickers is, like, easily one of my favorite Billy Crystal performances. And the movie's so funny. And also something I feel like I didn't really kind of remember as vividly as how t- how deep it is um because mm. like you said it's very deep and it starts very quickly like his whole thing of like each decade describing what it's like is like <laughs> five minutes into the movie it feels like and it's just like man all right we're starting off on this note let's go um yeah it is it's fantastic yeah i mean i i think we should talk about billy crystal to start with because yes. this is the first billy crystal movie we've done on comedy rewind is after. it really 30 episodes or something yeah wow. and it's the one it's probably the the movie or the franchise that i associate with him like if, mm. if you were to say name a billy crystal movie it would like be the first thing that comes to my head and i'm not sh- even sure what else i would say like i know monsters inc has become kind of what he's mm. done in the last 20 years uh but yeah like what, what would it be for you i mean when harry met sally potentially sure yeah th- i guess that's yeah, that is probably the one big biggest thing. I mean, that that's that's for. an '80s movie, so yeah, obviously we'd have to like cheat a little bit to get it on the list. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm pulling up his Wikipedia page now, so I can just like rent this real quick. Like, oh, he's in Father's the, Day with Robin Williams. He's in Princess Bride. Um, he is in Analyze This with Robert De Niro, and that's a fantastic movie. It's so funny as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise. I'll allow it. Yeah, I'll allow it that this is maybe this and um, When Harry Met Sally maybe the two big ones um, mm. in terms of just like immediately ring out to you. Otherwise, it's just like him on SNL and him hosting the Oscars every year for like a decade. Yeah, he's definitely got a kind of like a wise ass kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, that's his persona and it's in this character so much as Mitch like... I was watching it thinking Billy Crystal had to have something to do with 
yeah. the writing here because sure. every, every like whether he was improvising or like redoing his own dialogue, mm-hmm. it just seemed like he was Billy Crystal, and I, I I found in my research like he apparently co-wrote the story, not just mm-hmm. some of the dialogue. He wasn't given any of the on-screen credits for it, but even the concept of the movie is apparently his own that he came up with. You know, he's at the according to the internet uh he was at home watching tv about these getaway vacations and and the words cattle drive came to his mind and he sketched out this idea of just these three guys with the midlife crisis joining a cattle drive to go into the wilderness and and the rest of it kind of probably came together with the official writers from there i think for me too it's so much of because this is like peak billy crystal like this is billy crystal like at like the top of his powers and i guess part of the reason why like i struggled for a second when you said like name a billy crystal movie more than this is because so much of me for billy crystal is like his stand-up too mm-hmm. um and his kind of like comedic troupe of him um Whoopi goldberg and robin williams they would just do like comedy specials together all the time which is like as an aside maybe the best trio of comedy performers that you could possibly get on one stage <laughs> together but um and yeah, I think you see that in this movie, in this character as much, like he is very much just like a wisecracking stand-up comedian almost. Like he's just like nailing every joke and like every beat. And like he just has his timing so well, which I think comes from being someone who grew up in the stand-up ranks. Like he just knows his timing so well and is so effortless in it. And his chemistry with like the whole cast is so like just clicks so well. Mm. Yeah, he's definitely really confident in that role, in that yeah. character. Almost too confident and almost too quick and witty like you know what i mean like why didn't this guy you can kind of see like why he's unhappy in his job as like yeah. an advertising whatever he whatever is whatever it is yeah because it's like well yeah i guess he could have been like writing scripts for hollywood movies or like a stand-up comic or something because yeah. he's every, like he's just cracking jokes through the whole film but i think it kind of works too in the yeah. sense like he's someone who's so supremely talented but is stuck in this dead-end job and like that's also why he has like this like midlife crisis and is so frustrated and like doesn't know what he is almost because like he can almost tell that he is like someone who has like is better than this weird job that he doesn't even know what it is at this point now mm. yeah and like for me growing up i it, this was probably neck and neck with city slickers too for mm. me like in terms of like which one i, I might have even seen the second one more and i like in my memory not having watched both of them together for a long time mm-hmm. the the second one has way more of like a plot to me, whereas this one is kind of like these three guys just go into the wilderness and they have like some life epiphanies. And that mm-hmm. is something we'll talk about a bit more because I think it's amazing. The second one's a bit more of a more of a classic comedy like scheme. Like, oh, we're going to yeah. go search for the gold and we're going to find yeah. Curly's treasure. And it's a bit more of an adventure in that yeah. sense. I agree um, with and, and it's... And that I think as a child that attracted me a lot more, uh, and I will. I'm curious to maybe go back and watch that one for this podcast. I usually steer away from sequels because most of them aren't great in the '90s as far mm. as comedies go. <laughs> but um, yeah, did, did the second one have a similar resonance for you? I so I, I again I love City Circles. Like it is one of my favorite film series. I guess you would call it. Um, so I've seen both these movies like a dozen times each, probably. <laughs> um, like, like you, again, you really hit on a sleeper hit for me. Like, I really genuinely love City Slickers. It's one of my favorite movies, um, and it's one for me where the comparison I kind of think of actually is more like movie book based in it's Harry Potter, right? Where I think the first City Slickers is a lot like the first Harry Potter book. Um, where like it's not really almost that much of a plot to it. It's just kind of introducing you to this world and to these mm. characters. Um, and it's not until like the last like act of the book that there's really anything kind of happening in that first Harry Potter novel. And this is kind of a similar way, which is like it's just like these people's lives and them doing things. And like at the very end, it's like all right, cool. Now we have a plot. Once Curly's kind of died, it kind of begins to kind of pick together a thing. Whereas the second one is much more of like an adventure, crazy thing, like in the second Harry Potter, where it's much more like an actual plot. It's an adventure book or movie, um, and I think that rings true for for City Slickers too as well. Where like there's very much from the very beginning of that film, this is what we're doing, this is what we're trying to get, this is how we're going to try to do it, and it goes from there. It's much more like a traditionally structured film in that way, I think. Mm. And it has John Lovitz as well. 
does. What a what a quintessential '90s person is John Lewis. Yeah, I think that was one of the reasons that I liked it more. Like Bruno Kirby, I don't know much about him as an actor. I know the name. He's he's not the warmest kind of character in this movie, <laughs> and like I like the I actually do like that character as an adult now because he's kind of at times he's like a bit of an a hole like kind of like why are you friends with this guy and then other times he's a bit he's like you can see that as we said before it's a pretty deep movie it's talking about like abuse from his father and you can kind of see why he is the way he is with women and he's like struggling with commitment and he's got a good heart at the end of the day like he's one of the the ones that's like never questions whether they need to like bring in the herd and that kind of thing so uh yeah very very complex writing in in this movie with with some of these character developments And, and that's one of the things i like is that each of the main three guys has their own individual arc Mm -hmm. and starts in one place and ends somewhere else and that's it they don't gloss over it it's not something where there's like an a plot and a b and c far behind they're all kind of tied to each other and it really works I think for me, one of the things you'll actually see if you watch a lot of Billy Crystal movies of this era is that Billy Crystal is an expert, I think, dramedy writer. Like he, I think, understands and appreciates like the nuances of the dramatic side of a dramedy really well. Yeah. Um, and I think, especially in the 90s where like it was a lot, as I'm sure you're aware of doing this podcast, a lot of like very like slapsticky over the top comedies. Um, mm-hmm. his always kind of resonated with me a bit more because they were just so well done dramedies, whether it is this movie or When Harry Met Sally is technically a comedy, but is very much yeah. a dramedy too. Or even like Analyze This is like, has very kind of dramatic moments in that movie. And I think he always found the laughter in his moments while also kind of finding the poignancy and kind of the heart in them as well. And his characters and his movies, I think, um, still kind of resonate 20 years later now because of that 30 years later god um yeah. <laughs> also right. want to give a shout out to the um cast of the movie for i can't remember their names even though i just watched it like 12 hours ago but um the dentist's son is um hooch from scrubs Oh, is, is it really? Yes, Far it's huge from it's huge from Scrubs. I did not recognize yep. him, and I'm it's huge. can't believe he that came I missed on, that. and I was like, "Is that?" Because he's got like a high top, and he's like looks different, obviously. Cause yeah, it's 20, but it's like it is huge from Scrubs. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Oh, Hooch is crazy. Hooch is crazy, man. <laughs> uh, burn for a burn. That's in. <laughs> that's in the Bible. Uh, so, twenty-seven million dollar budget made one hundred and seventy-nine million dollars, which yeah. for nineteen ninety-one is a lot of money. <laughs> it's a lot. It's not quite like Jim Carrey money a few years later, but it is a lot of money. Uh, and obviously, that's one of the reasons they got to go and do the sequel almost straight away. Do you have any guesses about the Rotten Tomatoes score for this bad boy? I feel like it'd be really good. I People love Billy Crystal. I'm going to say 85%. It's sitting at 90%. Damn, is it really? It's fantastic. It's Yeah. Not the highest that we've done, but it's probably in the top three or four, I'd What's say. What's the highest you've done, do you know, off the top of your head? Uh, probably like Big Lebowski or... Oh, um, I forgot that you did that. Not, uh, four Weddings and a Funeral was really high as well, yep. surprisingly. So but, good. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, there's some good movies in the 90s. But, yeah, there uh, are. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a, a quote here from Entertainment Weekly that kind of sums it up, I think. It says, City Slickers is really about how the West can never be more than a dream to contemporary urban Americans. With high comic style, it shows us what a lovely dream that is. That's beautiful. It is, isn't it? I thought <laughs> yeah. so. And like, I am, I, I don't. I'm not going to say I love westerns because I don't like go back and watch like John Wayne movies and like all that kind of stuff. I haven't even seen all the um, Clint Eastwood ones, but I always appreciate when someone can do a western that works in a different style. So, for example, this is a comedy. It's a western. It works really well. And then I really enjoyed, at the time, Shanghai Noon with Jackie mm-hmm. Chan, kind mm-hmm. of bringing a bit of, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of kung fu cinema into into the genre. So, and I had, I had really high hopes for Cowboys and Aliens oh, being like a, a, a Western with, with sci-fi. And 
it, it did it was reviewed so badly that i never even saw it yeah. even though i am like a big fan of like harrison ford and thinking like how did they mess that up but uh yeah and, and like with with red dead yeah. and everything happening recently it just felt great to to go back to this movie for that reason I think for me, so I am a huge fan of Westerns. I love Westerns, and it's 100% because um, of my father's love for them. Like, my dad is, um, like, he loves Westerns. He loves John Wayne movies. And so, growing up, I would just sit by his side, even from, like, when I was, like, I mean, I, I was probably a baby, and he would just, like, hold me in his arms <laughs> and just, like, watch John Wayne movies or Clint Eastwood movies. Um, although he always liked John Wayne a bit more. So, like, watching The Searchers, watching, like, you know, all these kind of things, um, the sense of Kitty Elder, uh, like I just kind of got imbued with this sense of like this kind of wonderment, I think, of the West and like that kind of time in America and like the myth, mm. like, because I think in a lot of ways, like the West is like so ingrained in like the American mythology. And so yeah. I think watching them all and kind of getting the understanding of like that kind of form of American storytelling um, certainly influenced, I think, me as a storyteller and as, as like a creative person person but even just like in terms of like my appreciation of like films right like i love westerns i love western like inspired things like city slickers which is one of my favorite comedies or shanghai noon which i funny mission i literally just watched that like oh. Oh, two weeks ago um that movie in case you're curious absolutely holds up so it is hysterical i love it it combines like three of my favorite things it's got a western movie it's jackie chan which i am like a massive jackie chan fan and then owen wilson and jackie chan have pitch perfect chemistry Hmm. um it's so good still um and so like yeah like i i love western inspired things western kind of homages red dead it's why i like red dead one so much and also kind of why i have a lot of issues with red dead two which i think doesn't do it as well that's that's really interesting and like this this quote here talking about how like the west can never be more than a dream to contemporary urban americans like, how do you how did you feel watching this like did you actually feel like wow that looks so fun like because because I mean like let me tell you something about me I grew up in the country essentially like rural mm-hmm. Victoria a lot of horse people around mm-hmm. I was I was never a horse person and my wife grew up on a farm yeah. when I was dating her we I went over there and I rode the horse right mm-hmm. terrible experience yeah I, felt so uncomfortable yeah but like i love indiana jones when he's like riding the horses and i love like movies like this and i'm watching this with hannah and i'm thinking like it looks like fun i i I feel like i would like that but i know that i would hate it at the same time like if i'm camping out there and it's freezing cold and there's no wi-fi and everything i'm just like i i would hate it but i like the idea of it and i think that that's what this quote is kind of talking about as well yeah i I think So, like, I, it's interesting, like, I also grew up, obviously, in, like, the rural part of America, I've been from Missouri, um, there were farms all around us, um, I've ridden horses in my life, I've done this kind of stuff, and I've sheared a sheep, and I think, for me, it's one of, that, (laughs) the, the joke I'll make is, people who say, like, they want to do this kind of thing, like, they would love to live in that kind of life, are, like, the people, to me, who say that, they would love to, like, winter is their favorite season. And I'm just like, that's just because you've never lived anywhere cold. And it's like, it's just because you've never done this all the time every day. Like, it's that thing, like, it's, it is a nice, and I think as, like, a two-week break, that could even be nice. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's not. Like, there's a reason why we have a civilization as, as a species of kind of advanced beyond doing this as, like, our main thing is because it's hard. Um, and, we don't necessarily like hard things. Um, yeah, I didn't quite understand. Like, why do they have to transport all these horses from yeah. one place to the other? Like, why not just breed them where you're going to sell them? Like, it's it's my favorite. It reminds me a lot of like when people talk about like what historical era you would want to live in if you could live in any one. And uh, yeah. somebody asked that to like President Obama when he was president. He was like, right now, like now is the best time to be alive because for starters, <laughs> if you're like me, you have the most right you've ever had in your life, but also because like, you know, mortality rates are the lowest and like healthcare is advanced. And, like, all, like you just list off all these reasons. And it's like, now I would want to live right now, not a hundred years ago, not two mm. years ago. And it's like, yeah, like I think obviously, especially in America, like you're basically born with like this like weird fascination with cowboys and the wild west and everything involved with it. But it was also really hard. It was also really brutal. It was also really unforgiving. Um, 
And yeah. I think that's also kind of tied up into like, it's like romanticism too, though. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I would love pioneer kind of yeah thing yeah like and I I think about that a lot obviously someone who reads and has studied history um, I'm always like what would it be like in that kind of time period like I would love to be there I think for like a day like that kind of like take that time machine like step in that world for a day and just experience it Um, but it's also the thing of like I think it would be fun to maybe do this two week trip thing. Like I'd be like, all right, John, we're going to go to Colorado for two weeks. Let's do this. Um, but it would be hard. <laughs> like mm. I would, I would be like going to like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a lot of work. Um, and maybe we would have an epiphany and we'd, we'd learn like the one big thing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but I think, so. um, I, but, think yeah, uh, I think you I think would you'd, do you'd gain really... something from it. Yeah. You'd have to really be having a midlife crisis to do something like this. Yeah, and I think that's what the movie <laughs> kind of says too. And like, it's also that thing for me of like this. This movie's in a lot of ways like a really fascinating um, like deconstruction of like even just like what it means to like be like an American man, right? And like re- like rest some of like some of the like kind of like. I think mythology of what you should like, what a man is, or, like mm. what a man should be, and then like then they, like they lean into like the most like classically manly trope of like let's be cowboys and then yeah. kind of learning <laughs> that's not everything it's necessarily like chalked up to be either and like it's actually really kind of smart how it deconstructs a lot of these kind of stereotypes mm. absolutely all right we've covered a lot of, of good ground already but let's get into the categories the number one song when this movie released was Mariah Carey's I Don't Want to Cry. Dang. Which is a, a song that I do not know. Wow. Uh, but I, I also want to mention that Enter Sandman was in the top 10 Hell in yeah, Australia at that time. So I don't usually go past the number one tune, but maybe I should look at what's in the top 10 because it's probably more interesting. Enter the Sandman's great song. What have you done for me lately? Billy Crystal has a web series coming out this year, A Monsters at Work. It's obviously a Monsters, Inc. kind of spin-off. Uh, he, he had a movie last year that I haven't seen that I'm interested in, Standing Up, Falling Down. Have you heard of this one? I don't know if it's, I have. It's, yeah, so it's with Billy Crystal and Ben Swartz, who Ooh. I really love. And yeah. I think they're both playing comedians, obviously one much older than the other and kind of mm-hmm. mentoring relationship going on. So that came out last year. I'm going to see where I can track that down because it... Even just on paper, it's uh, it's intriguing. Uh, Daniel Stern, who we mm-hmm. somehow haven't mentioned until now, <laughs> he, uh, he first of all he's great in this movie. Yes, he's got like basically a dramatic role for the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's just done a TV show called Shrill. He was in Game Over Man, which was a movie made by like the workaholics guys. Bruno Kirby, who we mentioned previously, he passed away in the 2000s. His final role was on Entourage in 2006. Mm. So, obviously, he hasn't been up to anything lately. Obviously, you could say the same for uh, Jack Palance, who plays mm. Curly. And we Absolutely. also haven't mentioned up until now. Uh, amazing performance. He won an Oscar Academy for Award winning, yeah. yeah, so... Which is kind of surprising to me. Like he's not in the movie much. I was like wanting so much more from him, and I guess it's, that's the point. Like he's the best supporting actor. It's it's very but. similar to whenever Anthony Hopkins won the Oscar for Sansa Lambs, and he's in that movie for eleven minutes total. But that movie seems like so defined by him. Mm, but he's yeah. actually in it for eleven minutes and just like won the Academy Award and everything, and got like four other movies where he's in it for a lot longer. But yeah, like Jack Palance. Yeah, I wonder who has more lines between Jack Palance and I know Hopkins that because <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, I think, has the record for least amount of screen time mm. um, for an Oscar that like eleven minutes for Silence of the Lambs. But Jack Palance probably is close behind, and it's it's such a good role. Like it's that thing of like you can tell. That I think when a performance is really great, when you go back watching it again, and you're like, man, I thought he was in so much more of this movie. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I like rewatching it. I was thinking like at the end of the movie was when he just dies. That's suddenly. what I remember too. Yeah, <laughs> like or at least like the the transition from Act Two into Act Three. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I'm, I'm probably also confusing like a, a gag in the second movie where like the, the twin brother like you, you think that he's dead but he's actually still alive that's probably what i'm thinking of anyway yeah i, I was watching it thinking like i know he won the oscar mm-hmm. what's he really done here and there is a couple of scenes where i guess he really drives home his performance because yeah. for the most part it's like his presence is there but then he has these one-on-one scenes with mitch yeah where he really does kind of i guess earn the award for that part yeah I think the one last, like the one big thing in particular, that that scene by itself is just so yeah, good. yeah. Um, Patricia Wettig, who plays the wife of Billy Crystal's character, uh, Barbara, obviously still been working. I just wanted to shout her out because she's the president in uh, Prison Break, the, uh, <laughs> oh. the dodgy president. president. Okay, <laughs> yeah, not not a recent role, but one that I wanted to mention anyway. Uh, David Pimer, who plays one of the uh, Shalowitz brothers in this movie. I think he plays Ira out of the Barry and Ira. Clearly based on uh, Ben and Jerry, the ice cream mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. But uh, he's a guy that I recognize from uh, The Good Wife. He plays a judge. Never watched it. Yeah. So they have these judges that pop up like maybe twice a season for the whole run of the show. And they all have these like unique quirks about them. He plays one of them. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor shows mm-hmm. up as well. We obviously know him from Arrested Development, Transparent. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is the most 90s moment of City Slickers? I think if we were talking about City Slickers 2, it would just be John Lovitz. Um, but, <laughs> and the first one, um, the most 90s moment. It can Does a young Jake Gyllenhaal count? Oh, man. <laughs> that, this, that was this crazy. Tiny, yeah. I recognized him straight away. I was like, that looks a lot like Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> I can't um, believe it. So maybe that um, <laughs> is just, just young Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't know. Like, it is a movie that I feel like, in a lot of ways, is timeless, right? Like, it's it is people having a midlife crisis and just like yeah. wanting to escape from all technology and just kind of go back to like the roots of just like living. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's just as true in 2020 as it was in 1991 in a lot of ways. So it's actually a movie that I think, among the ones we probably watch in the show, that or can just kind of be shown at any time period and be like, okay, yeah, that's a movie. Um, and I'd be as dated. So I'm going to stick with Young Jake Gyllenhaal as my answer. Okay. <laughs> I've got a few things here, mostly to do with technology. Uh, but there, there is a moment in the kind of opening, they're in Spain, the running of the bulls, mm-hmm. and Mitch gets gored by a bull. <laughs> uh, and uh, what's Daniel Stern's character? Is it Ed? Yeah, no, it's Phil. Phil's like taking photos and he says it's a Kodak moment. And I was like, yeah, that's a 90s thing. Like, we don't say Kodak moment Kodak anymore. Kodak moment anymore. <laughs> I got to bring that back. Like, yeah. We, we all take a million photos a day on our smartphones. But back then it was like, you, you had to really you want had to, to choose a photo or something. Shot, yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is a Kodak moment. I'm yeah. going to, I have to capture this. Not just like, I'm just going to take a thousand photos because I can. Yeah. There's a we see a cassette tape when he's in his office and they're like showing him like the ad reel, <laughs> that uh, that the uninspired ad. So and then there's obviously the mobile phones that the ice cream guys have out on the trail. He, like has to be one of the first mobile phones. I know that they were around in the eighties, the big bricks. But he's out there. He's, it's got the antenna and it's the flip phone, mm-hmm. and he's trying to get like. What's he doing? He's he's asking about the Mets at one stage, I think. Yeah. And something else was some kind of work call, but... I mean... They also had had the camcorder as well, like the big (laughs) chunky, like, not quite over your shoulder camcorder, but definitely a very 90s thing. I think another one that I, I guess we could look at too is whenever Daniel Stern's character gets like the... His cashier comes to them at... Mitch's house and he rips the landline out of the, the house the fact that they had yeah. a landline and the fact they had two landlines because one in another room too that's like yeah is also a very much more of a 90s thing than a 2020 phenomenon oh yeah for sure <laughs> the um prob- the thing out of all that I've mentioned that doesn't hold a candle to what I'm about to say there's a discussion between Phil and Mitch about how to record like how to set the VCR to record a different channel than what you're watching and like, and to set the timer on it as well. Like, I don't know about you, but I definitely had to master the VHS slash VH VCR 
combo and like figuring out how to record stuff when you were going out of the house and setting the timer or just being able to record something while you were watching a different show. It was like mind blowing and life changing once you could grasp that. And that conversation between them in 1991 really brought back a lot of memories for me. <laughs> Um, and it reminds me of just like DVR in like the mid 2000s, trying to figure that out. I'm trying to like explain that to, in my case, my parents after it's like, all right, here's how you're going to record one show while watching this show and doing and like, just like explain it to them in like the early and mid 2000s for DVR. So most iconic scene, what do you have? I feel certainly the one that I think is the most like, emotionally resonant is probably the one big thing right like that's that's what i'm initially kind of drawn towards i also want to give up a shout out for just because like it's comedic everything is him describing every decade and what it is just getting progressively darker (laughs) and darker um and then to a bunch of like eight-year-old kids yeah Yeah. (laughs) um but yeah like i I think those two stand out um maybe the whole scene with the cashier at the house is really funny just for like a matter of like misunderstanding at the beginning of like why is she telling you like why is like i'm just her manager i'm here like she's on shift right now that kind of thing um (laughs) but i would probably say the one big thing is the scene that i i think of the most probably that cashier uh was yardley smith i think also famous yeah but played uh obviously maggie simpson 30 plus years uh we'll we'll get to her a bit later i've got something i want to say but for me the most iconic scene i had a few um i wrote i just wrote curly for one of them Mm -hmm. because pretty much every time he's there doing something Mm -hmm. as we said it's it's very brief but they're all very memorable from the first time he shows up to save mitch from the kind of two lugheads at the at the ranch and then uh, just the one-on-one campfire scene with him and, and Mitch with the harmonica and everything. But something about this movie that I really liked was the sense of like climax that it had where mm. it definitely built up to his tense. Like a, a, a lot of the movies we talk about on this podcast, they're kind of, they're comedies and there might be a, a small sense of, of a climax. But for the most part, a lot of them just kind of happen and then, something funny happens and then there's a resolution at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. But this, you know, they're bringing in the herd, you know, they're, they're trying to take them through the river and Norman gets swept away and it's like, got to leave everything behind and go go rescue Norman. Mm-hmm. And that for me was just like, just a real like, it, it showed how far these characters yeah. had come. Like they could do this by themselves. And then, like, when they're finally bringing in the herd and they're, like, singing the Bonanza music, <laughs> it's just, like, I couldn't help smiling. I just had, like, a huge smile on my face. Like, that would feel so good to just have that sense of accomplishment and yeah. and just pull off what, like, these trained people couldn't even do. Like, they mm-hmm. gave up on... The guys that were meant to be supervising them just gave up and abandoned them there. And, and here these guys are who... You know, couldn't ride a horse, couldn't throw a rope a few days or a few weeks earlier, and here they are. So I, I thought that was a really iconic kind of scene as far as something that I watched and I just thought, yeah, like that's... Maybe it's not the one that I would have thought of a week ago when I think of this movie, but it's mm-hmm. the one that I'll remember now. Mm. I like that interest though. I mean, it's the, it is the 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 f- kind of the culmination of their, of their character arcs is kind of on display there and... Billy yeah. Crystals in particular, yeah. Yeah, and I think that segues really well into what holds up the best because there's so many character arcs in this film mm-hmm. that I totally forgot existed. Like, the, there's these three guys. They're all in a different version of crisis and they've all had some kind of different yeah. version of trauma in their life that they're dealing with here and trying to figure out, trying to whether it's like where's my life going? How did I get here? What's the right decision to make? What do I actually want from life? All these things that I think we're younger than them, but I think it's still relatable for anyone that's like 
like teenagers have these feelings they're they're different real world problems but teenagers have these feelings as well like what am i doing Mm -hmm. with my life where am i going when i finish school Mm -hmm. and then like kids in their 20s have these feelings as well it's like am i doing what i want to do you know am am i have i been wasting my 20s am i wasting the best years of my life you know i think everyone has this sense of just questioning yourself sometimes Mm -hmm. and i think that that is something that holds up really well just how they even though it's a comedy they all have these aspects to them that they get a chance to to shine and, and just show off you know, as I said, Stern, Daniel uh, Stern's character is basically dramatic almost the whole time. He, he's still quite funny, but he's just constantly in, maybe not in crisis, but he's just like struggling. Yeah. And then when he, when he gets the gun, <laughs> when he gets the gun off those guys and he's like basically begging them to dare him to pull the trigger and you just think like he could do anything right now. Yeah. <laughs> He's a loose cannon. Like that was, I don't know about I don't know about Jack Palance. Maybe maybe Daniel Stern should have got the Oscar. <laughs> it's it's one for me to, and I wanted to quickly think of a scene that might I might actually have like tied for my most iconic scene, um, which I had forgotten about, which was the best day, worst day, um, mm. and I think that entire conversation between those three guys, um, talking about like their best day, worst days, was super good. Uh, Billy Crystal's. Um, Yankee Stadium story I like absolutely loved um, true story yeah I assume the minute I started hearing I'm like I assume that that was based on like an actual event in his life um, and, and then leading into obviously the like best day worst day it's the same day um, and like the story of like yeah, abuse with his father <laughs> yeah and it's like it's the thing like this movie is just such a dramedy like it is such a combination of these two genres and I think those are a lot of the scenes that I remember the most and like that best day, worst day and how they kind of, cause even, even for like Daniel Stern with him being like his, like him picking his wedding day is his best day and like that surprising the two guys and then his worst day mm. being every day since, um, being said both kind of flippantly and also like with like truth to it too. Like, I don't know, like it was all that whole scene I actually really loved and like is maybe my favorite from the the movie just because like i think it gives you the best sense of like who these guys are and like kind of what has defined them for good and for bad um mm. but in terms of what we're talking about now um yeah i think that's also what holds it best are is in a lot of ways the dramatic scenes um yeah like i think the movie's very funny because it's billy crystal daniel stone like this even jack pounds like this whole cast is great but when they are able to just kind of have these emotional moments because like you mentioned um from when you're a teenager to when you're in your 20s to when you're in 30s like you are wondering these kind of questions and you are wondering these things and everyone wants to live a life that matters i think and a life that makes a difference and i think these are people who billy crystal is 39 i think he said in the movie mm. um and so he's at this point where like you know he's a third of the way through his life generously. And so um, he he's beginning to think like, what has my life been spent doing, right? Like what am I almost kind of in that, this very kind of fundamental question, like what am I? Like who am I presenting myself to other people? Like how am I kind of defining myself to other people? Um, and am I happy with where I'm at right now? And I think he's, asked, I mean, the movie asks very deep questions um, and I think it gives really deep answers back like one of my favorite things about the movie is the fact that it kind of deliberately doesn't give you an answer to the one big thing right like it very much is like there isn't just one general answer like this is what the meaning of life is kind of thing it's like it's dependent on you like you find out what your one big thing is yeah and i think i actually really like that that doesn't try to go for like a here's what the statement of life is for every single person it's like now like the meaning of life should be personalized to what, who you are. Um, and I think each of those kind of three guys of like the main cast figuring out what maybe that one big thing is for them and um, finding that out is like the things that I think holds up the best. I think the entire back half of the movie too is just really great. Like weirdly enough, like I think once from like when Curly dies onwards, the movie's actually really just never kind of falters from there. Yeah, yeah. 
as much as we've been talking about the drama there's so much like physical comedy in this movie that works really well like it's yeah. it's you look you think about movies that come out now and so much of it is about the dialogue mm-hmm. and like the crazy wacky circumstances that take place i think this movie does a really good job of actually using the the direction of the movie and the framing of the camera and like the panning to responses from different characters and maybe it's like they just it could be something as simple as like they're picking which hat to wear there's no dialogue and there's there's jokes in that mm-hmm. and they're throwing the the lassos and they're doing there's just there's just all this this action to the movie as well like i don't say action in the sense of like bruce willis action i mean like there's things happening that provide the laughs beyond just the script i guess and that and that works really well to me and it, it stands out because it's not done so well these days there's, there's a few directors that are really good at it edgar wright does it really well mm. in the in the cornetto trilogy yeah. but I guess it, movies have changed and it's something that I noticed. I think a lot of the time, like this movie does comedy really well too in the sense of like, like one of my favorite scenes and I feel like it's like the first time I ever like saw that joke because I feel like I've seen it in like a million movies since then is um, he's, he's right behind, behind me. me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, it's so good and like, it's just like, I don't know, like, my thing that like what holds up the best i'd also be remiss if i didn't just say billy crystal like billy crystal's mm. really funny and again it's like one of the things that i messaged you last night when i was watching it was just like billy crystal's the best like he's just <laughs> so funny and i think this movie shows you like five different ways that billy crystal is just like a great comedian and a great performer like he just does things on a comedic level like he's just so talented at what he does and again that's why i said like this movie's kind of at that peak where, like, he had been a stand-up comedian for, like, 20 years probably at this point, um, had done Saturday Night Live, had done movies, had had really huge movies, and so he just was so fine-tuned, like, every side of his, like, comedic, like, portfolio, so that when you come here, like, he's just firing on all cylinders, and he's just so good, and um, I think the ability of him to just, like, on a dime switch from dramatic to comedic to dramatic to comedic, like back to back to back to back, mm. um, is just so effortless and so good. And Billy Crystal's, he's just funny. Like, that's my thing. Like, that is what holds up the best. Like, Billy Crystal's funny. Like, it doesn't matter if he's just, like, walking over to the two guys, being kind of, like, jerks to the, to the woman, and just, like, starting to make, like, firing off, like, one-liners and zingers, and just being, like, tough radio tonight, huh? And just, like, just, like, he's just always nailing every beat he's in and like billy crystal like yeah jack palance was great and won an oscar and daniel stern also was really really great but billy crystal is like the heart of this movie for obvious reasons and he just nails it um yeah so i would say billy crystal too yeah i i did write down billy crystal wise guy for one of my dot points on that the persona just works so well yeah it's it's still funny um yeah we I think we've said everything we could. He he was just he's just fantastic, and yeah. like like you say that that line, uh, he's standing behind me, isn't he? Like there's a supercut of um, all the times that's been used in comedies, and it, yeah, it's super overdone. Yeah, <laughs> joke by this point. I don't know if this is the first appearance, but um, it's probably it's, one of the it's gonna be more one notable of the ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think uh, as the final thing I'll say for Billy Crystal too is that like I think it works so well. And he's so good at it because like this just feels like how Billy Crystal is in real life. Like he just like, that's who he is. Like he is just like a wisecracking guy that like probably yeah. makes a joke to get out of like a nervous moment. Sure. Yeah. So what holds up the worst? This is a, this is a harder one because like, I actually think this movie is really, really great. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe, um, like you could argue like Curly being in the movie for so long, like little like that's something that like if they did it again maybe he'd be in the movie more but even that like i don't think it's like a worse thing it's just like it's like a thing that they maybe would have him in it more um but on the whole like i can't think of a ton of things that are that hold up like terribly yeah i mean i I had a couple things and neither of them are a huge deal so we're just kind of nitpicking but i I did feel it was a little slow to start the movie Mm. The, the time between them getting 
from the start of the movie through till they end up at the ranch is probably 20 25 minutes yeah it's a long time you know it starts off they're in spain then he's at work then they're in bed and they're talking about his birthday then he's at the kid's school then you got the birthday party mm-hmm. and then they she tells him you should go to that ranch thing and then they end up going there it's 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 i think it's necessary to set up the reason that they need to go there it's just you probably don't need every single one like you probably didn't have to have every single one of those things like maybe he doesn't have to go to the kids school even though it's a great joke um it adds just an extra scene that i think if they filmed it now for pacing you know it's a bit more snappy with the way films are edited now it well, is think, like a two-hour movie. I was going to say, it's also a longer comedy than yeah. comedies are nowadays, too. Yeah. And uh, Yardley Smith playing the 20-year-old cashier. She's <laughs> easily way older than that. Like, she was 27 when they made this. And the, the the I know that she plays like a child on The Simpsons, so she's got like a voice for it, but she just looks old. Like, when she came on screen, I didn't know she was the Maggie Simpson actor. But me and Hannah were just like, she looks so much older than 20. She looks like she's 30 or 40 years old. And it's because it's the passage of time and, and fashion. And she was just like not dressed in a way that I would think like a 90s Gen Xer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. She, she just didn't have that look about her at all. And it was a little jarring, but uh, that's that's a nitpick. That's fair. <laughs> um, who would be most offended I think it's fairly cowboys. inoffensive, yeah. but yeah, maybe actual cowboys. <laughs> um, there's some kind of like damsel in distress stuff happening with the only kind of woman on the ranch. Yeah, she she doesn't really stand up for herself at all until. Does she have any moments where she kind of gets her independence or anything? Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe it's like she gets more like a sort of like in the end of the movie kind of thing, maybe, but. Uh, she's definitely used, I think, to help Daniel Stern's character growth, um, and Billy Crystal's too. Yeah, she's she's kind of just there as as a kind of a device in some ways. Like mm-hmm. you, you've got the the Ed character talking about how like you wouldn't sleep with her, you know that kind mm-hmm. of thing, and like just kind of objectifying her and. And, and kind of showing what his personality is and how he's different from Mitch and how Mitch is an upstanding person because he wouldn't sleep with her even though I, presumably she wants to sleep with him because he saved her. Like, that, that's kind of... It, it, it did lead to... High school. Yeah. yeah, it did lead to the funny joke though. Like, after... Like, he, like the two guys got sent away or whatever and they're just, like, standing next to one and then she goes, I'm married! And just, like, walks away really quick. Yeah. Just, like... Um, so that, that did work. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I could see that being like a thing, but otherwise, yeah. like you said, like it's, I mean, I would argue pretty inoffensive. Mm. There was a, uh, gay slur dropped as well. F word, mm. uh, in that ranch scene. It's a very nineties thing. And it's also these, basically the, the villains of the movie saying it. So I, I guess in that sense, I don't know if it's offensive in that in that way. Like, it's not passed off as something that's acceptable. But at the same time... It wouldn't I just, be in the movie nowadays it, if they made it It wouldn't now. be in a mainstream comedy yeah. now of this nature. Anyway, that that's more of a times-changing type thing. Does it pass the internet relevancy test via memes and GIFs? I don't think so. I don't recall ever seeing a City Slickers uh, reaction <sighs> or anything. Do you? I've seen like a few Jack Palance ones um, of just like like a hard cut to him like coming out of like the night but no for the most part I would say it does not really I've just punched it into Twitter and all the things that come up are not to do with City Slickers (laughs) surprisingly it's like Dwight Schrute with a cowboy hat and other IPs that have people actually there's a there's one yeehaw <laughs> that that scene where they're all like saying yeehaw it's Billy Crystal taking off his hat but mm-hmm. yeah there's like I guess because it has the word city in it that's like off upsetting the algorithm the S- SEO or whatever it is on there but uh, yeah it's, it's not 
there's not like these iconic reactions in the movie that you would have from an example I, I use a lot is like any Jim Carrey movie. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 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 so many, um, or even like an Austin Powers or these things that are a lot more quotable than this. Like this isn't a movie that just has lived on through memorable quotes and that kind of thing. I mean, I typed in Jack Palance, for example. Yeah. And even the gifts that are come back from him um, are from like the 89 Batman movie and not City Slickers. Sure. Yeah. So I think as, as much as the movie's brilliant, I don't know if it's culturally in the, you know, the lexicon of today's mm-hmm. internet. <laughs> it's not like uh, something that the young people might recognize instantly if they see it. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't watch it. Watch it. Because I think they should. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But uh, the next question is, how would smartphones and social media change this movie? I think only a little bit, right? Because I think the whole point yeah. is that like there's just no internet signal. Um, and Correct, yeah. especially in like the giant chunk of like the Western US, there's still bad internet signal. Um, <laughs> so I told him, like, I don't know if it would change it that much, actually. Um like they would have seen, like maybe his friends would have like heard about it via like a social media pr- like tweet or something like that mm. instead of like a commercial on TV or something. But like otherwise, yeah, like you said before, it holds up pretty well in the mm-hmm. sense of it being a '90s movie. It could still work so well today. Which yeah. is the next question: What would the the modern version of this be like? I think it would be very much the same. Although yeah. I think the characters would have more of a withdrawal from technology and social media mm. and internet and using Maybe. their phones and they'd be i think they'd be even more out of place like i don't if, know about you but like my dad's gen i feel like my dad's generation or maybe it's because my dad grew up on a farm like i yeah. think they would adjust far more quickly to life uh in the wilderness riding horses and that kind of thing than like us millennials yeah i mean that's I think I mean both of our dads sound very similar, but um, I think I think that's that's probably true. I think it's also a thing of if this movie was made today, I think the characters would be more over the top in a lot of ways. Like I think mm. it would be more of a comedy and less of a dramedy, and it would just have dramatic moments. Like I, again, I think we talked earlier about like some of the shifts from like comedies then to comedies now, but I think one of them mm. is that like there are fewer dramedies they're just more com like they just became more comedy and just embraced that side of things and became a bit more over the top. I think it's kind of been the yeah. trend in the last few years. So I think maybe more cartoonish, like Daniel Stern's character would be like way more over the top. I feel like, and like way more cartoonish. Like, I think even like the scene with him and the gun would be played more like comedically than it is. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think a lot of the dramatic stuff would be kind of like pushed from the movie. I think Jack Palance's character would be, and even more like overblown like character of like that kind of cowboy intimidating figure like mm. it just to me like seemed like it would be kind of played up as more of a comedy and it wouldn't have yeah, much drama in definitely it. i can actually see it working really well though um i i'm like in my head i'm recasting it <laughs> and I've, I've got i've got seth rogan in the billy crystal role yeah, that's i had seth rogan in this cast as well so i'm glad we're on yeah. the same page <laughs> i'd have um jason siegel in the the phil role by daniel stern mm. And then I'd have uh, their friend uh, James Franco in the mm. the, the Ed role okay. of, of of Kirby. And then obviously you have to go like Clint Eastwood in the <laughs> the curly, curly role. Role. He's like I don't even know Clint Eastwood's acting anymore. Um, he pops up now and then. But yeah, that, that, that's such like an obvious pick for Curly as Clint Eastwood. Yeah, I mean, he's just yeah. I think that would I think that would work. And you could also you, like I guess you could do it with like the. The three guys from Always Sunny in Philadelphia that could mm. also be fun, but I, I, I don't know. I can just really, I can see it happening with those other guys. Like, I, it, it's just like it's right there. I had Seth Rogen too, yeah. Yeah, make it, uh, make it City Slickers three, and maybe Billy Crystal's like Son. working on the ranch or something. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal is cast as Billy Crystal's character having his own <laughs> midlife crisis. Yeah. Oh, there you go. We have to work Jake Gyllenhaal in there yeah. somehow as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, 
I got some useless trivia here that you can react to. Love which it. We've already we've already alluded to this before, but the story that Billy Crystal tells about his best day going to a Yankee game mm-hmm. with his father. It's actually a true story. And he he says in the movie, I still have the program, which in real life he got Mickey Mantle to autograph once at the game that day and then again twenty years later they were on like the same talk show. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I love that. There's another true story from Billy Crystal's life. So the wake up call from his mother on his mm. birthday. Mm. Pretty funny. Another just a, kind of a visual gag at the start of the movie. Um, according to the DVD commentary, his mum would call him the same time on his birthday, five o'clock in the morning, way too early. I, don't, I wouldn't answer the phone directly, <laughs> um, which is the time he was born and just like verbally reenact the event over the phone. So the, the rendition in the, in the movie is apparently the word for word true story of how Billy Crystal was born. I love that. Yeah. And uh, the last little bit of trivia... Daniel Stern declined writing lessons offered for the movie to better convey his character's inexperience at horse riding, which <laughs> it's, <laughs> sounds it's painful. A, it's a decision, yeah. One yeah. thing I also saw when I was reading last night is that um, Rick Moranis is originally supposed to be cast as Daniel Stern's mm. character, and then before his wife got sick, exactly, yeah. exactly, and mm. his wife got sick and he had to drop out. It was surprising seeing some of the lists of like almost cast mm-hmm. people, like like Charles. Bronson Charles Bronson was, was supposed to be here yeah, until he was told he's going to die. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to die, or it's not enough lines, or whatever. I always, it's always funny when that happens, and then someone goes on to win an Oscar, an or Oscar, yeah, or a movie does really well. It's like, oh, yeah. Could um, have been me. but yeah, even though Billy Crystal was involved in like writing the movie, it sounded like they kind of bandied around a few other people, like Robin Williams and and that kind of caliber actor to to play that main lead role so I, I don't know why billy crystal just didn't make it something for himself because he obviously <laughs> fits it so well yeah he's so perfect for it yeah okay the steve buscemi spark plug award steve buscemi a real spark plug this is a tough one because there's not many characters in the movie they all kind of have a decent amount of screen time together as kind of an ensemble i think you mentioned phil lewis who plays hooch mm-hmm. doesn't really get much to do neither does his father's actor you got obviously the ben and jerry analogs in uh ira and barry shout outs to, to josh mostel from uh billy madison that the school principal yeah. there. <laughs> but again i don't think they have done enough to win this award so I almost feel like I just have to give it to Jack Palance, even mm. though he's like one of the main characters, which we don't <laughs> usually do. But at the same time, like we said, he's only in the movie for a short while. So I can't think of anyone else that deserves the nomination. Yeah, I do just want to give yet another shout out to Hooch. Um, Hooch is crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah, he's, he's crazy. All right. That was that was easy. Um, the last question is another easy one. Is City Slickers still a good movie? And yeah. I have to say, as much as any movie i've done on this podcast yes mm-hmm. i think the last time you were here it was wayne's world and yes yeah. as much as i enjoy it i know that my wife wouldn't be able to sit through it because of the style of the comedy and the mm-hmm. quirkiness and the i don't want to say like it it, it kind of was an, a more amateurish production being mm-hmm. that it was like an snl sketch turned yeah. into a movie right this is a movie that you can just watch now, and yeah, like I know absolutely. that my wife, who's a bit younger than me, is gonna she 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 was shocked by how much she liked it because yeah. it's so old to her. It's like the year before she was born, and there's really from like the pacing that I mentioned being a little slower at the mm-hmm. start of the movie is the only thing you have to get through, and even then it's still entertaining. There's, it's still, still so full of jokes, yeah. Yeah, the jokes are still good. You're kind of learning who these characters are and starting to like, you know, feel feel connection to them. So, and you know where it's going as well, yeah. which also helps. Like, it's called City Slickers. They're they're gonna end up, yeah, you know, <laughs> on horses. I mean, again, like I, I said it when we first started, like this is one of my favorite comedies of, of the 90s at the very least. Um, I'm a huge Billy Crystal fan. I think it is one of his best performances. Um, and I just think almost literally every part of the cast just is working so well together. Um, like it's just, it's a great movie. Like it is it's just like, it is a great comedy. Mm. And Jake Gyllenhaal too. 
Jake Gyllenhaal, man. See where the magic started. What did, what did you think of him taking uh, <laughs> taking the the cow home with him, young Norman? I liked it. Yeah, I don't I don't think they should have let it get killed. Like at that point in time, that like, they just yeah, like yeah, it worked for me. I liked it. Um, I'm ready for like a spinoff of like Norman's Big Adventures. I'd like to pet into or something like a Babe inspired film. That's what I expected mm. afterwards. Well, it set up the great gag in the second movie where he's like jogging and he has Norman with him and he's like a full grown cow at that point. <laughs> pretty great all right well that's that's city slickers it's good enough that it's made me want to go and watch the second one yep, same track it down so that's a pretty glowing endorsement but um logan where can people find you on the socials yeah you can find me over at lefty logie or lefty logie whatever you want to call it i don't care anymore <laughs> i gave up um <laughs> and over at that nerdy site where i uh host that news you care about and also i'm on that nerdy site show from time to time as well um yeah go check it out it's a lot of fun over there do lots of things talking on the internet about stuff and whatnot video games yeah awesome uh and of course you can catch me on the socials at Jono himself let me know what you think of city slickers and billy crystal love to know your takes on this movie if you've seen it recently how you thought it held up because i think it held up pretty well mm-hmm. if you want to support the show of course you can do that with your ratings and reviews in your podcast service of choice but especially i guess apple Podcasts and Podchaser, amongst others that uh, that do offer reviews if you really want to get behind us you can get into the 8-bit patreon at patreon.com slash we are 8-bit and that's where you can chip in a few dollars a month to yeah just support what's happening within the collective the the podcast the video content all the good stuff that's coming out of 8-bit for now thank you again dear listeners for joining us on comedy rewind be kind